Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Thank you, Tim. Thanks be to God for uh, that good news of his word and the promises that are ours in Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us to see you even as we look back to the earliest stories of Scripture this morning. And may we see the faithfulness of God and the love and power of God's Spirit. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Diane for bringing God's Word to us two weeks ago. And then last week we had the privilege and delight of hearing from Covenant missionaries in Mexico, Mexico, Carl and Sue Peterson. This morning, I want to begin by drawing our attention once again to a, a statement that I don't want to say we developed, it really felt that we discerned it and then God put it on our hearts as a group of over 30 of us, uh, staff and leaders and members gathered a couple of months ago to try to discern why does Bethany exist why are we here? Why do we do what we do? And as we prayerfully discerned who we are as a congregation and what it is that God is calling to, our why actually emerged very clearly. Why does Bethany exist? Well, we connect and serve so that generations discover and experience the transforming love of God. It's the so that. This is why we do what we do. And if you weren't in the room that day, as uh, God's Spirit placed this on our collective hearts, I want to share with you that as several groups were working independently and we saw this statement emerge, there was, there was a gasp in the room because we saw it and we said, that's it. That's us. And we were excited to sense that God was inviting us into a new chapter of ministry together around this clarified why. And it was interesting because we had two uh, facilitators leading our time together, two leaders on the East Coast Conference of Churches, and as they led the workshop around this finding your why, they looked at our statement and they said, huh, we've done this with quite a few other churches and not one of them has used the word generations. No one had used the word generations. Now to us, it made perfect sense because we have a sense, again, of who we are, our DNA as Bethany, and we say, well, we are, are about generations. We gather generations together to, to learn from each other, to hear from each other. We know that God's love is for all people, young and old, and everyone in between. We know that it takes generations to fulfill God's mission to us as we go out from these doors into various places where we live and serve. We know that God is a God of generations. He cares about everyone, regardless of age. As we look at the testimony of Scripture, we see in God's Word that God's timeline spans many human generations, in a sense, is beyond human generations and timekeeping. We see the record of God's faithfulness in Scripture and see that God's faithfulness spans generations. It endures. And we see that sometimes the unfolding of God's plans and promises takes generations. And from our perspective, actually can seem really slow. 
This is what we find in the book of Genesis, the opening book of the Bible. We see that it's a book of promises made by God and kept by God. We see God promise to Adam and Eve that he will provide for them. He will give them meaningful work to do and that he wants to be with them. We see God promise Noah. Somebody asked if I was gonna preach about Noah this morning. Well, this is the only reference. Uh, we see that God promised Noah that he would protect Noah and his family from the waters of the flood. And we see that God promised a married couple without much background or pedigree that he would take them and make out of them a mighty nation called by the very name of God himself. And that's a promise to Abram and Sarai that takes generations to fulfill. So let's meet this couple as we look at Genesis chapter 12, where we read that the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now this morning, we're actually gonna be looking at quite a bit of scripture together from this book of Genesis because it'll be important for us to see how these promises are given and how they begin to unfold over the course of decades in the life of Abram and Sarai. And these, these promises, these, these passages will become the foundation of our next three weeks together as we spend time looking at the generations we find revealed in the book of Genesis. And here in Genesis 12, it's revealed that this man, Abram, had some sort of a relationship with God. We're, got, we're told that God met with him and gave him a set of instructions. At the end of the previous chapter, Abram and Sarai are introduced, but very briefly. It's there that we read that Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Izcah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. And that one line, that one last line that is almost an aside becomes so pivotal in this unfolding chapter of God's promises and their unfolding in the lives of this couple. Sarai's inability to have children would become key in the fulfillment and seeming impossibility of the fulfillment of God's promises. In Genesis 12, God promises to do amazing things through Abram's offspring. 
But how can he have offspring if his wife Sarai is apparently unable to have children? And yet we're told that even then, Abram obeyed God, left his familiar land, and traveled to where God would lead him, and built an altar to God to commemorate that God had met with him and given him these promises. Now, I want to encourage you, uh, encourage all of us over these next couple of weeks to read together Genesis chapters 12 through 33, because this will be the span of Scripture we're looking at, but obviously we won't have time in these three weeks to dig deeply and look at all the details of these 20-plus chapters. And so as you read these passages, it'll help fill in the gaps and help connect some dots for you in these weeks together. You'll get a deeper sense of how this story unfolds over the course of generations. Now in Genesis chapters 12 through 14, we see that Abram and Sarai travel as God had told them and they prosper greatly because of God's faithfulness and provision. We're told that their livestock and their herds multiply. They become wealthy. They're well-established. But there's still no baby. And as we fast forward to Genesis 15, we read that after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is the steward of my household, Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord credited it it to him as righteousness. So in these intervening chapters, Abram had become so powerful that we're told he was actually doing battle with the Canaanite kings who were in the land. And there was an episode where Abram's nephew Lot and his family were captured by one of these kings, and Abram went with a powerful retinue and rescued his family. And at this point, Abram must have wondered what he was getting himself into, picking fights with these regional kings. But God told him not to be afraid and reiterated his promise to Abram that a mighty nation would come from his family. Abram was afraid, probably afraid of these kings that weren't on his side, but probably even more afraid that this servant in his household would become his heir. But God showed Abram the stars of the night sky and said, start counting. But still, there was no baby. And when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. 
I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So 24 years after God had told Abram to pack up his family and move on, we see that God repeats his promise now in the promise now in the form of a covenant, a binding agreement between these parties. And at 99 years of age, Abram gets a new name, Abraham, meaning father of many. And shortly later in this same chapter, we hear that Sarai is also renamed Sarah, meaning princess. So God is establishing this couple as, as royalty, as a father of nations and a, a princess, a queen at his side. And there's still no baby. Genesis 18 reveals the next scene. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. God looked, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayas, which is about 36 pounds of the finest flour, and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Abraham understood that these men somehow represented God himself. Perhaps they were angels, or perhaps they were men who were sent as an affirmation of what we're told is an appearance uh, to Abram by the Lord at the beginning of this chapter they're actually a bit mysterious in the text. But as one commentator concludes, what's clear here is that the biblical God is one who makes himself known intimately and concretely to his covenant people. So Abraham knows he needs to pay attention to these visitors. And he offers them gracious hospitality. And over a gracious and generous meal, they repeat the promise of God but now for the first time ever, after 25 years, they're given a timeline. One of the men says, about this time next year, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. 
And now as we fast forward three more chapters, we read that the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as, the God, as God had commanded him. That was one of the uh, factors of the covenant he made with him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now the name Isaac means laughter. It's revealed earlier in, these, in chapters preceding this that both Abraham and Sarah had, had laughed privately at the idea that they would have a kid when they were pushing 100. And because of this, they were told to name their promised son Isaac. Now here in Genesis 21, it's interesting because I think Sarah's trying to spin the story a little bit. And she says, ah, Isaac, now that I have the laughter of joy of seeing God's promises fulfilled. And really the name did reflect both meanings. The earlier incredulous laughter as they honestly scoffed at God's promises, and now the tear-filled laughter of joy as they welcome this child into their family. So finally, there's a baby. But I need to tell you, we have really cruised through this story. And so I want to encourage you to go back and read at least chapters 20 through 21, because there are many twists and turns we simply haven't had a chance to look at. And to be honest, we've kept things kind of G-rated here this morning. If you go back, you see there's a lot of scheming and weird uh, conniving on the part of Abram and Sarah as, as they try to help God along in seeing this promise come to fruition. Because I, I can't imagine waiting 25 years. This morning, I want to make sure that we don't miss that this story that we have breezed through that takes 11 chapters to unfold took a long time in the lives of Abraham and Sarah. And I imagine even when God first appeared to Abraham, the sense of urgency he must have felt when he was 75 years old and told, you're going to pack up, you're going to go to a country and have a family. I can only imagine he said, well, I guess we better get going. And then year after year, all that he and Sarah had to go on was God saying, remember what I told you? I still mean it. And that's all they had. God's promises took decades even to begin to unfold for them. And we'll see in the next couple of weeks, it took generations to begin to unfold more fully. And so as we look at stories like this in, in Scripture, in the Bible, it helps us understand that God's timing is not our timing. It helps us maybe put, our, put, our, uh, put ourselves in the sandals of Abraham and Sarah and think about what that was like to wait 
and to wonder with them and to find ourselves wondering why does it sometimes seem so long for God's promises to, to unfold in our own lives. But it's my prayer that as we read stories like this, we'll also become increasingly convinced that God is faithful, that his faithfulness and promises are certain. As we heard read from Isaiah 55 this morning, God declares as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seeds for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And I hear this, I read this and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It can be hard to cling to the promises of God. And so as we continue to watch the story of God's faithfulness unfold over the course of generations in the book of Genesis, may we remember that we worship and follow the same God, the God of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. We remember the promises that God made to them and cling to the promises God makes to us even when they seem awfully slow sometimes to come to fulfillment. We consider what God has promised us and we wonder sometimes why God doesn't show up the way we hope he will, in the timing we hope he will, and maybe even find ourselves scoffing a little bit, laughing at God's promises that sometimes maybe seem too outlandish. And I pray that God in his perfect timing would give us instead the laughter of joy as we see those promises come to fulfillment in God's perfect timing in a perfect way in our own lives. God is faithful. Do not be afraid. Would you join me in prayer? God, who is the maker and keeper of promises, we praise you today. God, we thank you for the Bible, your word that reminds us of your faithfulness, that encourages us to take a deep breath when we become impatient with you. Thank you for stories like the story of Abraham and Sarah, and for how they remind us that you keep your promises, even to deeply flawed people, because of who you are. And God, this gives us hope. Lord, would you keep us faithful? Would you strengthen our trust in you when our faith is stretched to the breaking point? And God, I pray that you would comfort those whose faith is particularly fragile this morning. We pray all this in your son's holy name. Amen.